Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm here with the Syntex team today, and uh, welcome to the show, uh, Reader Mark. It's nice to hear about what you've been working on with uh, Syntex Repository Services. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, Reid, we'll start with you a little bit. Syntex and repository services, there's a lot that could be assumed from what we're talking about with those product names. How do you talk about this with um, customers right now with the launch of that uh, at Build, which was what we're at June 16th now. Build feels like a long time ago for us because we spent so much time planning up to it, but it's already only been around for a month now publicly for you guys. Yeah, it's only been a, a few weeks now since this, we've kind of taken the covers off of Syntex Repository Services. And, you know, Syntex has a number of different portions to it. And so we're actually part of the third portion, which is Build. And we actually alluded to the fact that Build was going to exist way back at uh, Ignite in October of last year. Uh, but we didn't really go into any details. And so uh, at Build 23 uh, in uh, May, we really took the covers off. And we started talking about this as uh, really just how our partners are feeding it back to us. And this is a faster way to develop full-featured file and document-centric applications. So Syntex Repository Services is really, uh, it is all the goodness that you're used to with SharePoint-style enterprise content management at the other end of an API. And so if you're somebody who builds any app that has to manage files and documents, whether those are Word files, Excel files, PowerPoint, or maybe they're an image of a driver's license, any type of sensitive data that really needs the security and compliance, the collaboration, and all the rich content management that you get out of Microsoft 365, that's what you get on the other end of that API. So Syntex Repository Services is just a, a really great way to make sure that you're focusing on differentiating capabilities of your app and you're leaving the content management to us. Yeah, that makes sense. And so... In your eyes, like what are some good scenarios that you think are a good fit for this? Like I'm assuming this isn't just a play for software companies, but this could also just be a play for enterprise customers or even SMB customers as well, right? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, when we look at this, uh, of course, it is a completely headless service. You know, there's only an API to it, and it really is designed for people who are building apps. And that includes both people who are working as part of an ISV or for people who are working on a line of business app as part of an enterprise. And when you think about the different use cases, you know, really, you can actually look at our four launch partners and you can look at across uh, them and you can see all types of different use cases. So we have Avpoint who is working on Avpoint Confide, which is a secure collaboration space. Uh, we have BDO, and BDO is an enterprise. They're actually the fifth largest accounting firm in the world. They're working on redesigning their global portal, which is how all of their global customers submit important financial documents so that their BDO accounting and audit teams can get in and do their job. Uh, we have a company called Peppermint Technology. Peppermint Technology is a legal-focused ISV. They build this great system, which a law firm uh, can adopt entirely based on Microsoft 365, that's all designed to really help lawyers move as quickly as lawyers want to move when they're processing documents and working with clients. 
And finally, we have this incredible company called Bentley Systems. Bentley Systems is all over the world, and they help companies execute these major infrastructure projects. And they're really working uh, with Syntex Repository Services to enhance their collaboration capabilities and really deliver the type of repository services their global customers need. And so when you think about the type of work that you know can be done on repository services, it really extends across you know all types of industries and all types of footprints that you might run into. Uh, it's a really exciting service. The few words I'm going to pick on there are mm-hmm. headless, which immediately yep. makes you think of chickens and cutting <laughs> the heads off for some yeah. weird sadistic reason, but also APIs. What does that really mean? Because it, is it just a box that you put documents in or and, and can retrieve them via an API? Or is there a notion that there is more to it than that? Well, there's a bunch to it. And, you know, when you think about uh, it's funny, you know, headless actually inspires all sorts of jokes. So you mentioned <laughs> chickens. There's an Ichabod crane series of jokes. Uh, you can really kind of go deep in that. But if you've been in the world of, you know, app development for any amount of time, you run into these headless services, right? And headless services are really a way to make sure that you're composing your app out of industry leading capabilities so that you're really focusing on what's differentiating for you and you're not bothering with this stuff, which is already a solved problem. Now, when we say headless, I think uh, it's important to note that that means from our, our point of view that there's really no way to navigate into this content via a standard SharePoint user experience. So all of the user experience that actually surfaces in your app is something that the app has to develop. And so from an app developer's perspective, this is actually a huge advantage, right? You get to control exactly how a user navigates through everything in a way that's meaningful for your problem domain, right? You don't have to really do it on top of whatever it is that we've put out there in the world. Now, there's a couple of interesting kind of caveats in there that I'd love to talk a little bit more about, and I'll probably do that after we head this over to Mark here for just a second to talk more about APIs. But you know, the, the three things that are huge advantages with repository services. One is you get all of the security and compliance that uh, is part of Microsoft 365 and Microsoft Purview, right? You get all of the collaboration and co-authoring capabilities that are built into Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Office, right? The Office family of products. And then, of course, you also get preview capabilities for popular file types, so things like PDF and text and whatnot. And then finally, you have all of the content management features that you're used to, so things like versioning, large file handling, uh, custom thumbnails, search, all of that stuff, which is critical. And you just get that at the other end of the API. So it really is you know, that notion of, Let's get the best in breed provider, build that into my app so that my users get everything they expect and I don't have to develop all the details. Before we do the API answer, uh, answer, in my head, the mental model is as a developer, if I'm building something, you're right. I've built apps where I've back in the day, because I've not been a developer full time for a while, but the use SQL stored the files in blobs. But the problem is, is that you don't get any of those advantages you just told me about in uploading a file. If I'm going to edit it, I've got to pull the whole file out of the blob, do some in-memory stuff, make some changes, open XML it, and push it back in. And then effectively, I'm relying on users uploading a new version of the file and downloading it to edit and uploading a new version. So what you're saying is that they continue to use those Office clients to edit those files like they would have a SharePoint file if they were in a normal SharePoint site, but they're not inside a SharePoint site. They're inside these additional containers, basically. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And so um, a lot of the ways that uh, I explain this when I'm talking to somebody who's brand new to repository services is I like to really have them focus on a very high level abstraction of what an M365 tenant looks like. At a high level, you have this notion of a tenant boundary. And within that boundary, you've got some configuration that behaves a certain way. And then you have these shared services, which run across you know, a bunch of different tenants. And so, for example, you have the Microsoft uh, storage service that's in there, the Microsoft 365 storage service, which runs across everything. Now, already today, we have the ability to partition that storage in a meaningful way. And so uh, you'll have you know, a SharePoint partition where when people are working with SharePoint files, they're working within that SharePoint partition and it behaves in a certain way. Well, OneDrive is different, right? So OneDrive has its own type of partition and it has some different functionality in there. And what we're introducing with Syntex Repository Services is essentially the ability for you to create your own partition within that M365 storage system. And so that means that you actually end up getting so much of that goodness that's built into that without really having to go and you know develop all of those details yourselves. Now, there's a couple of uh, interesting points on this, and, and they really have to do with the ISV developer. So if you're an ISV developer, a really interesting aspect of this is that when you create one of those partitions, which is in the M365 storage subsystem, you actually are creating that inside your customer's M365 tenant and inside their storage subsystem. And so not only do you get that best of breed in terms of, you know, like basic functionality, basic, quote unquote, but you also then get the way that they've configured, for example, you know, their security and compliance. And so uh, it's exposed to their e-discovery system. It audits things to their audit stream. And so it really does bring, you know, a tremendous amount of value in both those circumstances. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And so like, you know, I talked about SQL storage, then you've got like Azure blob storage, and then you've got like Azure files. I see this as like the next best of breed on top of that, that gives you tons of more features than any of those other options as a PaaS type approach, essentially. It is exactly that. It's a it's a PaaS that you can build specific types of apps on focused around files and documents. You know, when you talk about things like Azure blob store, 16 nines of object durability in the cloud, like depending upon exactly how you configure it. Like it's an incredible service. It, I, I have nothing bad to say about building something on Azure Blob Store. But one of the challenges is it doesn't include all of these features, which you essentially end up needing if you're going to be working with files and documents in a material way. Now, if you just have uh, something which is a blob and you need to put it someplace, ABS is great. You know, if you never need to start collaborating around it, or you don't need to e-discover it, that kind of thing. But what happens is when a developer is rolling their own content management system, they're actually going through a discovery process and starting to understand, you know, what type of content management, collaboration and security features their customers really need. And so as an app developer, you say, well, I think this is going to be easy. I'm going to put it into a cloud object store someplace. And then, you know, your first customer says, well, it's kind of hard to actually edit this. Can you make it easier to edit it? And then you say, okay, well, how do I do that? And then at some point you say, I want to go sell to global enterprises. And global enterprises come at you with just a tidal wave of requirements that are very difficult to meet. And so by rolling your own, you could choose, you could essentially be opting into this almost never ending expense and development roadmap that you have to work with, it, it can be a real challenge. And so our vision with this, our vision, like success, success for this is we create something which is so easy to use that app developers automatically choose it, and then they focus their energy and investment on differentiating capabilities in their problem domain. 
Yep. No, it makes sense. And I think there's definitely a, a few things. I can, if people are driving their car right now, Juan the cycling on his bike listens to the podcast as he shares with me around like, well, there's certain scenarios where this makes sense and, and, and where it doesn't. And I, I'll cover those a little bit later on with you all. Mark, as you've been quiet for 12 minutes, we've Ray going on the value prop side, which Ray, that was really good actually. I'm loving as you've kept going on this, how, how you've made that really sharp on the, the value. So thanks for sharing that. Mark, from an API side and the dev side, what does that look like? What does that mean to be headless? Like if I'm a developer right now and comparing this to things like Azure Blob Storage or SQL Storage, are there tools that developers are going to be familiar with, like knowing this audience is is building with SharePoint right now and building with Teams right now? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of our intents with the way that the APIs have been designed here. So there are a set of new APIs that we're providing in order to manage containers. And so Reed mentioned containers and how they're stored within a customer's M365 tenant. And so we have APIs that allow you to manage containers, like create them and control the permissions of them. Um, those APIs are all on the Microsoft Graph. So developers that are familiar with Graph can use those APIs to manage their containers, create them, update them, and so on. Once you have a container within uh, an M365 tenant, it is actually just a drive object. So the, the container has an ID, and once you have the container created, you can take that ID and treat it as though it's a drive within Microsoft Graph. And, and once you interact with it as a drive, all of the drive items and the existing Graph APIs can be used in order to manage the content within those containers. So customers that have a bunch of code that interacts with drive and drive items won't need to make a whole bunch of changes in order to adopt Syntex repository services other than just the container management itself up front and making sure that you're putting the containers in the right place and you have, have them deployed and provisioned. Once you want to manage the content of that, like uploading files, interacting with files, changing permissions and sharing files, you can do that through the existing graph APIs that you're hopefully familiar with. Yeah, that's really neat. And then as an end user, if I have uploaded a file into uh, Avpoint Confide, for instance, and I launch that file from their user experience, that's going to jump them in a browser to a SharePoint URL, much like you would in uh, launching a file that's sitting in a OneDrive location, right? So they're going to be familiar with that experience. Yeah, it depends on the file type. And so okay. the thing with Syntex repository services applications is that the app gets to define and control the experiences of the users. So all of the content goes through that app, even though it is stored within that end user's tenancy. And so, for example, with Office files, Office file collaboration and co-authoring capabilities are built right in. And so uh, for developers familiar with drive items, once you put an, a drive item within a Syntex Repository Services container, there's a web, web URL property of that drive item. And that can be used, like you said, to open up a new browser tab and you can open up that document in Office Online for view, edit, and co-authoring. And then you get the familiar experiences that users have, have become accustomed to, where you can add mention, share, share and notify, and things like that right within it. 
We also have the ability to preview documents. And so the existing preview endpoint on the Microsoft Graph API for a drive item can be used to generate a preview link for that drive item where you can get out of the box uh, previewing experience. So we have a client, like a preview client, that end users can take advantage of and can be either opened up in a new browser tab or embedded in an iframe right within their the repository services application. And you can preview common file formats like PDF images. And you can also view and stream video from that as well. Yeah, smart. I hadn't considered like with the movement of stream into the OneDrive core functionality, you're getting that video benefits as well. That's neat. When I first heard about this, the first thing I initially sprang to mind was, well, we've kind of been doing this for a long time as, and, you know, pride myself sometimes and hide myself sometimes from saying I've been a SharePoint developer since 2003, is that in this instance, I've built apps for customers where you would just go to the SharePoint farm back in those days and now SharePoint Online, go to the Mac, the uh, admin center, and create a site collection and it comes with a default document library and you just dump all those things in there. Mark, what would be the advantage of using one of these containers versus taking that more traditional approach? Like what, what really brought the demand for this from what you heard from customers and partners? Yeah, there are two key differentiators here. Um, one, when you make a SharePoint site for it, ultimately there are places where the app does not get to control the experiences. The SharePoint UX is still available for users that have access to that SharePoint site. And so the the app does not get to be opaque with the structure of the content within there. And it's possible for users to come in and update the content or view it in in a way that is not through the app experience. And so the, the app owner and developers don't really get full control of the experiences there. And then the second key difference is that Syntax Repository Services is a metered service. And so it, it, is, it is separate from the existing M365 entitlements. And so it is a consumption-based model where the amount of usage is really what determines the price of it or the, the cost involved with it. So it doesn't affect the existing M365 customer storage quotas. It is outside of that and their existing entitlements. Okay, so... Like I can imagine the people driving their cars like, wait, this costs money, but I was doing this for free with site collections. So I think, Reid, from a, a customer perspective and a partner perspective, how do you rationalize that cost versus it being in part of the entitlement of E5 licenses and storage quotas in its current implementations? First of all, I'm not going to make a blanket statement. I want to, I want to point out, and every developer who's listening to this is going to know, you're going to need to, you know, look at your use case and you're going to need to look at the customer and you're going to need to make kind of the right decision for that. But what I will say is as we start to talk with uh, enterprises and we talk with ISVs who are serving those enterprises, there is a challenge when you have a shared resource like an M365 tenant that has a shared bundle of uh, service limits and, you know, entitlements that go along with it. There's a big challenge when you start to insert mission critical applications into that. And so, for example, if you have, you know, an existing M365 tenancy that runs uh, all the kind of information for all of your employees and is this internal facing, you know, massive thing, which is, you know, super critical to your business. And this is a very common situation for our enterprise customers around the world. 
and then you add in an additional mission critical app, well, suddenly you can run into a resource contention state, right? Where you have, you know, this mission critical thing that's employee facing and, you know, core to running kind of one part of your business is now competing for API calls against this other thing, which is in there, which runs another part of your business. And so by starting to segment things out into these different stacks where you have a different set of entitlements or a separate set of entitlements because it's a different licensing model, you end up with actually a lot more flexibility in terms of your overall information architecture. Like I said, I I don't want to make a blanket statement here because you have to look at the situation, but that's one particular thing that comes up. Now, if you're in the ISV world and you have something which is primarily based on site collections and existing, you know, M365 kind of infrastructure and how SharePoint works, obviously these APIs will work with both something around uh, syntax repository services and SharePoint, right? That's the way the APIs are designed. So... The question is, is what do you get, you know, when you segment this out? Well, from an ISV's customer standpoint, you know, if you're relying on SharePoint, a lot of times in order to have true programmatic control over things like site collections and document libraries, that kind of thing, you have to have very broad permissions at the OAuth level into that tenant. And it's not uncommon for an ISV to say, hey, I just need global access to everything in SharePoint. And then it's very common for an enterprise to say, no, thank you, we're not going to do that. And so when you work with syntax repository services, you actually can request a more limited scope where you can actually just get in and say, hey, I need a scope that can actually just manage these separate partitions related to my app. And so that's a huge advantage right there. So, you know, you start off the question kind of talking about cost and, you know, trying to rationalize where the entitlements are. I'll tell you what, when you get into these customers who have this mission critical app, the, the cost isn't the question. It's the question is way more about governance, reliability, being able to manage all of the resources, you know, and not really having to worry about any type of resource contention. Yeah, no, so true. And if I look back to the ones I did before, the biggest challenges with those projects rolling them out. And one of them was a product we rolled out to multiple governments in Australia was finding the right person that would approve creating that site collection. We needed to drop these things in. And so and then a lot of resistance was on, well, Back then it was service accounts and things, whereas now it's more on the group read, write all, permission, admin scope type aspects of it. And so I I totally agree that this is definitely going to reduce that friction for uh, an SI, a service integrator or a a software company going in and and saying this is what what we need and this is the scopes that we need and this is the access we're going to have. So I do like that notion of it. And then the other thing that Mark brought up, which definitely happened was, you know, people tinker. And uh, if they've got access to the document library UX and they're an administrator of the farm or the overall tenant, as we know these days, they can go in and delete views, edit columns, rename columns, do all sorts of stuff that could break the app. And so taking that away from those administrators and the power users are in these environments so that essentially the you as the app developer in control of that um, and managing it, I'm sure it reduces a lot of the risk that happens in, in those more brutal scenarios that happens where you've got that shared resource. So that's, I totally, totally get that. I can see the value in this um, for many customers. And then the third thing that you covered that I definitely have heard a lot from in the software companies we talk to in our team is they don't want to have any of the data in there the resources, their Azure resources. They're happy to have the UI 
and the, the business process execution running, but they don't want to own the data. They want the data to be in the customer's tenant. And so this is a really good way of doing that. And they could also just deploy the whole web front end into the Azure's customer resource group, groups as well if they wanted them to, to totally own it. So I, I can definitely see the fit for this. Mark, um, one thing that Reid mentioned is around the contention of lots of business critical systems running inside of the M365 tenant of a customer. Is there any benefits that you get from having this as a container when it comes to kind of like graph API calls and, you know, a lot of conversations we have with like the business critical things where there's hundreds of thousands of users using it and the throttling is something that comes up a lot. Is there anything that you get as a benefit of containers in that sense with Syntex repository services? Yeah, resource consumption will be treated separately. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and so that's a that's another key benefit. And I think, yeah, Reed alluded to it before, which is the limits related to throttling and quota consumption, both on storage and in terms of requests per second and things like that, are going to be treated separately. Right. So the whole, the big thing that we talk about with, with some larger ISV software companies is uh, the noisy neighbor where you could have a backup and recovery app pointing, pointing at a tenement, trying to back up all of the files across the entire of the SharePoint infrastructure. And that is eating up the resource units of the SharePoint capacity of the graph calls. But you're saying that that would be separated out from if your app is accessing syntax containers. That's really neat. Okay. That's correct. You know, one of the things we, we haven't talked about yet, but um, uh, I think is actually pretty interesting. And, and Mark, I might uh, volunteer you to talk about this if you don't <laughs> mind. But when we get into this notion of security, you know, when we start talking about this as a separate kind of partition and we start talking about all the different reasons that, it, you know, it makes sense from a consumption point of view. Well, there's other reasons, too. You know, and a lot of the times when people are looking at this, it boils down to that question of security. So I mentioned the the notion of an OAuth scope, but it goes beyond that. So, Mark, would you would you mind kind of like doing an overview of kind of how we're doing uh, permissions at the container level and then the notion of how that adds up in the, the file and folder? And, and I just ask that because usually in terms of talking to customers, this is about the time when they say, okay, well, how does that all work? You know, because that's a whole different thing too. So it's yeah. uh, Mark, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Well, so I mentioned, yeah, so you can create these containers within, within an M365 customer's tenant. Your app, your Syntex Repository Services app, can create many containers in there. It's not just one. So your app can, can create many containers. And there are a couple interesting points about containers. They scale horizontally. So I mentioned you can have one or many. Each container can store up to 25 terabytes of content. But in terms of Reed's question, the other thing to note about these containers is that they can be permissioned separately. So each container has uh, four permissions roles defined on it. Uh, those are reader, writer, manager, and owner. And each of those roles, you can assign both user and group identities to them. Um, so that the app itself can take advantage of that permissioning structure that's built into those containers to control access to the content within them. Bubbling up, though, we talked about these OAuth scopes and Syntex Repository Services, the APIs, define 
um, a new scope and role that can be requested by a graph when you're when you're getting your access token. So you can get a delegated or application only access token. And this this new role is called file storage container selected that new scope and role. Uh, it's not currently visible on graph as, as we are in private preview right now. But when you request that, you're looking, you know, if you're installing that, that your syntax repository services application on, on another tenancy, uh, then you'd want to get the tenant admin to perform the grant on that role or scope. And then that lets your application have access to manage containers that your app owns effectively, right? So the dot selected thing means that it is defined um, based on how your application is defined. And so your app gets to have access to the storage containers that it creates. And then end users get permissioned on those containers themselves using the roles that I mentioned. Now, it is also possible to permit secondary applications to have access to your app's your app's containers as well. And, and there are different roles within that. But basically, if I'm writing a Syntex repository services app um, and I install it on some tenant, let's call them Contoso, I can have another app. Let's say Reed writes an app that does something interesting. Maybe it just needs to read the content. I can permit Reed's app to have access to the content within my app's containers as well. Right. So it's like almost like you, the service principle of the application then can access it. That's really neat. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Can you restrict like the ability for a user to share a file if you choose to? Like do you see, so, you know, like in Word and Excel, the share button will show and, and potentially they could share it with someone that the app doesn't want them to have access to. Can you restrict those files from having that ability within the, the clients when they launch? So I think that's something that we're discussing now. Like at the moment, transparently, it's a trade-off between making sure we can have the existing collaborative experiences that end users expect within Office Online to be able to add, mention, and share, and notify. Right, right. And do things like that within those experiences. And so we want to make that as, as seamless as, as possible and, and consistent with what they expect from those experiences today. Yeah, I can imagine there'd be some frustration on users if they got a document in their normal team site and then okay, come over here to this app and they can't do it and wondering why they can't. I can understand those balances. Yeah, and while we're talking about permissions, there is one thing to note that's, that is interesting if there are SharePoint developers listening um, who are familiar with how permissioning works. One thing that's, that's a key difference uh, between containers and what they might be used to is that the permissions within containers are additive only. Um, and so the notion of breaking inheritance does not exist. Oh, interesting. That is a big difference, right? Yeah. So it's additive only. What was the decision for that with the not being a break inheritance? It's frankly about making sure that every API call that is made can be performant. Right, because that just adds a whole other extra, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. One of the areas of background of this that we haven't really talked about is, uh, you know, every hero has an origin story, right? And uh, th this has multiple origin stories, you know, one of which is customer pull. And then the second of which is, you know, internally 
on Microsoft 365, there's been this huge drive to standardize kind of on this storage system that's all SharePoint based. And in in the old days, what would happen is someone would come to us and say, hey, we want to use SharePoint. And we would say, great, let's spin up a whole project just for you. And we'll figure out how to get you into this common storage layer with all of the SharePoint goodness. And that really didn't scale. And so today, we now have this whole system, repository services. And uh, for example, the loop public preview that went out, um, this is entirely based on repository services at this point. And so the scalability that Mark was talking about a second ago, when you think about these containers, how you can strongly type them so that they're dedicated to a particular app, and then you can have many of them depending upon what your needs are. You know, we've really engineered that to work at Microsoft scale. So our expectation is that this is like the default pattern going forward for all new Microsoft 365 services. And we're building it with that in mind. And so that means that when you're an ISV and you're coming into this, you're getting all of that scalability along with it. Because this we expect, you know, all the millions of Microsoft users around the world to be hitting this all the time. So it's just interesting, I think, when we think about, you know, what kind of capabilities you can build into your app if you choose to actually harness, you know, a headless service. You just get so much, you know, and with Syntex Repository Services, you get everything in there. It's just pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, Mark, I'm intrigued with Microsoft Loop. And obviously, I went digging straight away when that came out as an internal preview. It's like, how have they done this so quickly? Because I remember seeing the PowerPoint decks of the ideation of that product. And like three months later, there was something out there in the wild. And I know there was a bunch of fluid framework stuff that they, they accelerated on on that side. But what file type are they using when they're storing in uh, repository services in that container? I, I mean, my understanding was that it wasn't a, a Word document or it was a special kind of like JSON scheme or something that was a historical log, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's an interesting thing. And so you mentioned already Microsoft's Fluid Framework. Um, for folks that haven't encountered that, it's a collection of client libraries for distributing and synchronizing shared state. Those libraries allow multiple clients to simultaneously create and operate on shared data structures as if they're a local object. Uh, simply put, it makes building real-time multiplayer apps fairly easily. And so Loop is storing Loop files, but those are really fluid files under the hood. And so going back to what, you know, the just the rapid pace at which Loop went from ideation to to product. It goes to those kind of platforms where Fluid made that much simpler to be able to build that real-time collaborative experience in an application setting and building on Syntex repository services to take advantage of all of the storage capabilities that we've been discussing here. Now, a really cool thing to note there is that being able to build a fluid framework-based application is something that comes that will be available to third parties as well, working on top of Syntex repository services. And so folks that want to be able to build like an app that has similar experiences to Loop, where you have that multiplayer co-authoring capability and real-time shared state getting shared and also saved up into the cloud, that's going to be something that's available for folks that are building on top of Syntex repository services too. Yeah, that's really neat. And I, I'm guessing, because there's been a few like things internally that we get reminders of taking ownership of certain containers, that when you create a workspace in Microsoft Loop, that's essentially creating a, 
a container with his own security model and syntax repository service under the covers? Is that kind of the how they implemented that? That's that's ab- absolutely correct. Yeah. So, a quick kind of detour into how Loop works with Syntex repository services. Uh, when you open up the Loop app, for example, at loop.microsoft.com, it'll show you all of your workspaces, and each workspace is a container within Syntex repository services. When you crack open one of those workspaces, uh, Loop shows you a number of pages, and you can create new pages and collaborate within there. Each page is one of those Loop files that I mentioned that they're using the Fluid framework to collaborate on and have that shared state and persist it up into the cloud. Also, the permissioning uh, stuff that we talked about with Syntex Repository Services. So Loop uh, allows you to add other members to your workspace. And that is effectively adding adding those user identities to that Syntex Repository Services container that's associated with the workspace. And similarly, if you want to add somebody to a page or share a page, those are using the permissioning features within repository services. Yeah, it's actually a really good showcase of how quickly that thing can scale. That leads to one other question I had in my notes here, which was, as a developer in SharePoint for a long time, getting files in from your own user experience, what kind of capabilities, I know it's headless, but ultimately if I, you know, you've mentioned thumbnails, you've mentioned document previews, and obviously the launching the files into the editor, but are there any things for free you get I mean, I'm thinking Microsoft Graph Toolkit, for instance, where you can list the documents that are living within that container or be able to edit certain properties on it and, and give you some freebies there in that sense. Have you thought about that area as well? Yeah, it, it's something that it's something that we've been exploring. And I, I see that you had Gavin on recently and we've been, yeah, we've right. been having these conversations with him as well. Um, and so you're effectively alluding to, you know, what kind of UX widgets could could we offer so that it takes care of some of the burden of app development for, for, for common use cases like maybe exploring files within a container. It's something that we're looking at. I don't have anything concrete to share, but we're definitely investigating investigating this stuff to, to try to make it simpler for app developers, again, so that they can focus on their differentiated value and they don't have to necessarily write a whole bunch of code for, for browsing or even just kind of CRUD content within, within their containers for a standard folder structure. I can hear without even being in the room of people listening to podcasts, the people chuckling, because we've definitely had a few cracks at the file upload control over the last 15 years. And you know, every time I speak to Ed Everett, he's always like, Jeremy, don't bring it up again. Um, but I feel like this this time, you guys got to crack this to make this work. So I'm glad that you're working with Gavin and Sebastian. That, that's awesome. Yeah, one thing that's actually kind of fun about the fact that this is all based on the Graph API uh, is that, you know, if, if you're a developer who already knows how to work with drive IDs and drive item IDs, you're going to be pretty comfortable. But if you're also a developer who likes to use, you know, uh, Copilot or something in OpenAI to, you know, go ahead and hack together kind of V1 of whatever it is that you're doing. One of my experiences as we were working on this was to, to go in and say, hey, I'm just doing a little ExpressJS thing. Can you put this together for me? And of course, it doesn't yet know about syntax repository services. Right, but it knows about the graph. 
but it knows how to yeah, work with drive yeah. IDs. It knows how to upload, you know, things and then mess around with drive item IDs. And so you actually have a lot of flexibility in terms of how you might implement it. Uh, and I would imagine that some enterprising member of our private preview uh, squad will actually come out with, uh, you know, something that they've developed that way. And I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very curious to see what people do. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I'm really impressed with how this product's come together and congrats for all the work on it. And, uh, Gino, if you'd have ever released APIs that weren't on Graph, you would have probably seen me running at you with an axe anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you came along for the ride. Noted. <laughs> yeah, noted. <laughs> uh, with Gino following shortly behind me. So you've mentioned private preview a few times. So like we announced this that Bill, typically there's cadences of six months and 12 months for things like public preview. Is there anything you can share on one, how people can get into the private preview today, but also two, what some expectations are going to be like on public preview as well? And just for people listening, Reid is actively pointing to Mark on the webcam right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess I'm taking that one. Yeah, so we are taking uh, signups for private preview right now. And if, if you're listening to this and it sounds like repository services might be a fit for you um, or your company, I, I would recommend you can go fill out the form and, and sign up for private preview. It's at aka.ms slash repository preview. And you can go sign up today. And we're going to be running private preview for several months. Um, and we'll be looking to enter into a more public preview towards the end of this year. Well, look, I'm hoping this has struck some interest with people listening today. And um, please go fill out that form if you want to get in contact with Mark and Reid here. I'm excited to see what other showcase partners and customers you'll be talking about next time we get you on the show and what happens at Ignite and build next year with some more showcase customers. But I, I do think based on being in this space for a long time that you've already hit a sweet spot. And I think I just, I love the fact that Microsoft's doing these kind of things now where we've really truly listened to all of the feedback we're getting from developers and going, you know what, we can, we can do this. And, and the fact that we've got first party apps like loop kind of building on it means that there is an investment like, your team can't go away now unless there's a bunch of other things that go away as well. So product survival is, is very well secured there. So congratulations on that too. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks. And thanks for having us on. You know, as Mark said, anybody who's interested in this, by default, go fill out the form. Um, we'd love to talk to you. Really, one of the things that's happening is every time we're talking to, you know, somebody who wants to sign up for this, you're helping to educate us as well about uh, all the things that are needed. So, um, huge benefit. And we'd love to actually show you what we're working on. You know, we'd love to get uh, your input and feedback on it. Well, I'm sure when the Microsoft Loof team came to you and said, hey, this is what we're thinking, originally you might be like, whoa, this is not how we were thinking this was going to go. And then you've evolved around that. So it's, um, I'm sure there'll be lots of scenarios that you're going to be surprised for, which is exciting. It's all part of building these platforms. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, it's funny, the notion of coming up with the customer scenarios and trying to figure out, okay, does it do it yet? Do we want it to do it? That's such an interesting conversation. And, you know, so far, the questions have been very dynamic and interesting, and it's really helped make it a, uh, a much more robust platform than I think we envisioned it to be robust. But I'll tell you what, customer feedback has really helped. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Cool. Well, look, thanks very much, Mark and Reid. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. And please keep coming with additional uh, questions to these folks by filling in that form. And um, we'll, we've got some really good shows lined up coming up all around Copilot extensibility, which is an area that I'm personally going to be focusing on. This, well, at least next next year for sure. So um, I'm grabbing every PM I know pulling through on that stuff. So please keep listening to the show. Um, and you guys enjoy the rest of your Friday and um, speak to you soon. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 